podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. And now for something completely different. Again. Hello and welcome to episode 16. Yes, 1-6 of the Real Football Cast. I'm your host, Dan Tracy, and in the next 60 minutes, we're once again doing something different this week. If you listened last month, you'll be aware that we changed the format to Kicked in the Bin. And with us being in the midst of another international break, then it made perfect sense to do it all over again. And if you don't know what Kicked in the Bin is, then stay tuned. Joining me tonight, I have two top guests. First up is Paul McGarricky from the excellent Over the Bar Football website. Paul's on the show a few weeks back, so I'm delighted to have him on once more. While also joining me is Tim Ward. Tim's a Stoke fan, and he was my resident mid-table Premier League expert on a previous podcast many moons ago. But now they're in the Championship, he just bemoans about football in general. Therefore, he's the perfect guest for tonight. Chaps, it's a pleasure to have you on board, and I look forward to seeing what you want kicked in the bin. I'd best do some social media bits first, otherwise we'll be talking to the Abyss once more. First, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at DanTracy1983. Anything show-related, send it my way. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. And if you use that platform, then don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if you're not a fan of all things Apple, then you can also find me on SoundCloud and Acast. While the easiest way to find all the links is by going to realfootballcast.com. As you should know by now, the Real Football Cast is sponsored by Loserpool. What is Loserpool, I hear you ask? It's a new game that sees betting turned on its head, with the focus being on the loser. If this has grabbed your interest, then be sure to visit loserpool.com and create an account. Especially as this weekend, there is another £1,000 prize pool opening up. And honestly, the odds of you winning are really high. They're even greater if you sign up. Right then, it's time to go live. But before I do, I'd best explain the format for tonight's show. Paul and Tim have been kind enough to offer up their footballing pet hate. One by one, they're going to volley towards me the things they hate the most in our beautiful game. After an impassioned rant, I will decide if they get kicked in the bin. Kind of like a famous BBC show, but much more football-based. OK then, Tim, as you're the debutante, you can go first. What is the first thing you'd like to see kicked in the bin? It's fans who go ballistic at the ball being slightly too far over the corner quarter circle at corner kicks. Interesting. I know exactly what you mean. Um, can you, now, can you... I, thought, I thought I'd pick something that would unify the podcast in, in one go. Straight off the bat. A nice tactic. Um, I, I can appreciate that. Tell us why then. What's your thinking behind this well, one? Well, my thinking being is that if... So, obviously, the, only a bit of the ball has to be on the line. Like, it could be like a millimetre of the ball has to be on the line. If that ball is a centimetre closer to the to the corner, I don't think that makes a difference to where the corner taker is going to put the ball he's a professional footballer uh, apart from ones who hit the first man which was in my long list of pet hates it's likely it's not going to make much difference to his corner where the ball is placed and you get fans obviously because you know at some stadiums they sit in the corner and by the corner flag going ballistic at the linesman who stood there if he's not there the referee yelling move the ball back move it back it doesn't matter it honestly doesn't matter just just let it go so you get people the, screaming abuse and so you're sort of yeah the sort of I don't know the um the pernicketiness of if, I guess if that's a word like the the minutiae of is it really that important in the grand scheme of things is that what you're saying Tim? Yeah, I mean obviously like because the big difference between if a player moves the ball like ten yards after a free kick or throw in where they move up the line or or whatever, but sort of where the court where the ball is placed on. Whatever that quadrant is, whatever name that has, does it have a name? Anyway, whatever that's called. Let's go for the quadrant. Yeah. Um, The ball being placed sort of a centimetre outside it, I'd I'd just get on with it. What's the point of getting angry about it? He's going to take the corner in two seconds anyway. Who cares? That's true. So is it more not the players stealing an inch? It's more the fans getting up in arms for no real reason. Is that what you're saying? Oh, yeah. It's the fans. Fans going, going mental, not the player doing it. I couldn't care less if the player puts it just outside the quadrants. Obviously, there needs to be a boundary and there needs to be rules. You can't put it like a foot out of the quadrant or a metre. But for the sake of like, I mean, people who are sat sort of 20 rows back anyway, I don't think they can really see how far out it is. 
just I'll just get on with it. Why are you get why are you yelling? Like, you know, you're losing anyway, your team's shit. Why are you yelling at, you know, Kevin De Bruyne putting the ball ball centimetre outside the, the quadrants? What who cares? Okay, Paul, what have you got to say to that? Have you got a, a counterpoint or do you agree? Um, well, I do agree with them. I, I think that the, the crying about it, it, it's, you know, it's spilt milk in it. But football is a game of fine margins, I suppose. Um, so some people would argue that it does make a difference. But no, I, I'm in complete agreement. It, what, what's there to get upset about? Yeah, I think you're both right, really. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, there are far worse things that are taking place on a football pitch. Some of them you might even highlight in the next sort of six, 60 minutes or so. So, um, so, yeah, I mean, I think perhaps if you're playing devil's advocate, you'd be miffed if um, your team conceded a goal from a, a slightly, shall I say, illegal corner. But more often than not, like you say, Tim, a lot of them just hit the first man anyway. So even then, it's a very moot point. So I think, Tim, it's a good start. I think we're going to put the fans getting, I guess, umbrage over a corner being in the wrong position. That's going to go in the bin. So a good start for Tim. He's off to a flyer. Thanks. Paul, Thanks. what about yourself? What's your first thing you'd like to see kicked in the bin? First thing I'd like to see get kicked in the bin uh, would be people leaving early at football matches. Ooh, that's a contentious the, one. Yeah, and the thing is as well, those people that do leave early are always the first ones to complain about ticket prices. So if they're going to turn around and say, oh, they want to get their money's worth, well, you know, you're already leaving early, so you're never going to get your money's worth. And the traffic's never that bad. So, what you, you know, the, uh, where I go, I'm a season ticket holder at Man City, and, you know, I see about... 10%, 15% of their ground gets more and more from the 80th minute up to the 90th. And over the course of a season, you know, if, if it's 19 home games and you're leaving 10 minutes early, that's 190 minutes plus injury time. That's over two games you're missing out on. And I just don't get it as well. Uh, just, just, there's something about it. Where have you got to go to that, that's so urgent? If, you, if it was that important for you to get home on time for, I don't know, uh, whatever, I'm a celebrity or something, then don't come in the first place. There's no queue for anything else you do to get out of things. Is it? You put up with it. If you're waiting for your bags at the airport, you just lump it, don't you? Sit in traffic. No point getting early just so you can get on talk sport and have a rant. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that's a very good point. Tim, what have you got to say to that one? Yeah, I'm I'm inclined to, to agree. I mean, obviously, Paul, being a Man City fan, there's no real need for you to leave early because you get to enjoy a 5-6-0 victory probably most weeks. So, just <laughs> the point of some fans leaving early if their team's getting battered. But surely the point there is, if you are getting battered, you stay to boo or to yell abuse or uh, take umbrage with the fact that you're, to steal your word, umbrage, with the fact that you have got battered. I mean, I remember I've only, I think I've only ever left one game early and that was when Stoke were losing 5-0 at home. I can't remember who against now. That's how bad it was. And I left then. But, that, but I, I don't get people like you say. Like say you're winning like two 0 or, or whatever, who leave to beat the traffic. Like you say, Paul, what, what's what's the point? So that, the traffic's yeah. never that bad. Way, and if the traffic's the issue, don't drive. Get there another way. Yeah, exactly. Mm, right, this is a bit of a contentious one because I'm not one who leaves early all the time. But London is a different beast in terms mm. of traffic, um, especially when you have to get a tube or a train. Um, I guess in context, if you are. For me, as a Tottenham fan, I've got Tottenham season ticket, and if they are winning two 0 and I think, oh, I've got to get out of Wembley, and I've got to get across the other side of London, it does. Those ten minutes do make a massive difference if you are sort of coasting. But at the same time, you know, I am paying a lot of money for season ticket, and I'm only just sort of wasting my own time and money. So, um, well, it's a tough one. I mean, to be honest, I I actually agree with both the sentiments you made, but I'm sort of going against your principles by actually doing what you hate. So <laughs> I'm, I might have to send myself to the bin. I might have to kick myself to the bin here because um, I do agree. I think anyone who sort of leaves early is a bit of an idiot by and large. Um, there, like I say, there is a caveat when you support a team in London because it is an absolute nightmare. Um, I mean, I don't drive, but getting the train or two is not much better. But um, I'm willing to kick myself in the bin. That doesn't mean the episode's ended. But Paul, yeah, I'll go with that. <laughs> Um, fans leaving early I mean anything below I don't know minute 70 they should be banned for life really because you do yeah. get some people just uh, that are off I mean um, I've known people that leave like, on the hour um, it's, it's, I mean again if your team's got 3-0 down there is a small caveat there but 
team like you say, why not just stay and boo the hell out of them? You know, gets a bit more of cathartic um, relief <laughs> that way. So uh, a good start for you both. Um, so just to recap, Tim's um, already fans going ballistic over corners taken slightly out of the quadrant. And Paul has also got in the bin fans leaving early. So it's one each, a great start. Tim, can the run continue? What's your second choice that you want kicked in the bin? Neil Warnock. Oh, wow. Right. There okay. we go. <laughs> Neil Warnock. Um, yeah. Please expand on that one, Tim. Why Neil Warnock? Um, I, I almost feel like I don't need to. Well, okay. I, I, I could have picked. Obviously, he's not the worst, probably not the worst man in football. But I just feel he just embodies everything I dislike about that sort of generation of manager and then the sort of sick, almost a sycophantic sort of pundits around them, you know, oh, Neil Warnock, he's such a character. He's not, he's, he's a dickhead. And I mean, whether it's like going back, you know, God, it must be 20 years ago since the, what they called the battle of Bramall Lane when he was, you know, Sheffield United versus West Brom, where he tried to get the game abandoned right up until, like three or four weeks ago when that Cardiff player was sent off against Spurs and he said, well, it's not a red card, even though it's probably the most blatant red card I can think of seeing this season. Um, he's just, oh, I just, I can't stand him. And yeah, I just can't stand him. There you go. Short and succinct, but that's absolutely fair enough. Paul, have you got anything to, to add to that? Do you agree, disagree? What's your take on Neil Warnock? Um, I've never really given him that much thought, but I've, I was at the FA Cup game at Cardiff back in January where um, the Cardiff players set out to, to cripple half of our team rather than actually playing football and, and Neil Warnock was quite proud of that and uh, well a few weeks ago like Tim mentioned against Spurs his reactions to questionable challenges um, are sort of outdated now so I'd be inclined to chuck him in the bin as well. <laughs> Okay then, so an overwhelming um, need for Neil Warnock going to the bin. To be honest, I I wouldn't say I like him, but I do feel that he's a one of a dying breed. Now whether that's a breed that should become extinct anyway, I don't know. But um, I feel that the Neil Warnock you see on the touchlines is not necessarily the Neil Warnock away from the pitch. I think you know he's he has sort of mellowed to a certain degree over the last few years. You make obviously very good points, Paul, about uh, Cardiff and the way they sort of kicked uh, Man City. Um, up in the air at all angles when they sort of last met the last two times. But um, I think the game will be worse off when he sort of does retire because he is, he's earned some sort of legacy. And I think it'd be unfair for that legacy to end with him being kicked in the bin on this, uh, in this podcast. So unfortunately, Tim, Neil Warnock has a stay of execution. He's not going to be binned off. So your 100% run has come to an end, but you've still got another three options there to follow so fortunately Neil Warnock is uh, staying alive this time around alright oh, fine fine alright <laughs> you can't have it all can you but Paul can you, uh, can you carry on your 100% run what is your I'll... second thing that you would like kicked in the bin um, I'm going to say half and half scarves oh eh, eh, oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. this no. might be yes I mean the, uh, the ripple of applause there between all three of us is a uh, a good sign of where this one might go. But just in case there was any doubt and I needed convincing, the floor is yours. Please tell me why, and it might be obvious, why you hate half and half scarves. Yeah, um, well, it's just uh, nothing says anything worse about the modern game or the modern fan knowing absolutely nothing about football and being a, a bit of a tourist than a half and half scarf. It's basically an idiot label, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> it's a sign of the over commercialization of football and the worst thing is clubs start to market them themselves and they call them friendship scarves but when you see oh. them being sold at, I know when you see them being sold at Manchester United versus Liverpool the Manchester Derby Arsenal v Tottenham you know I mean come on it's a, it's taking all of the the rivalry and passion out of the game and you know making it a dis, it's disneyfication of football isn't it really it's happy clappy we've had a good day out sort of thing and it's always the it's not even necessarily always like the foreign football fans that you get in the Premier League because, you know, the Premier League is a global entity itself. It's also it's English fans who live over here who've clearly got too much money, don't really have that much of an interest in football and just want to impress their mates by, you know, going in hospitality and they'll buy any old tat really as well. So 
and obviously you can blame just one group of people. I think it's it's a note between the, the tourists and and the, the people who don't know football or don't understand it. That's my opinion, anyway. That's absolutely fair enough. Uh, Tim, have you got a counterpoint, or do you agree with what Paul said? No, I I ninety percent, ninety five percent agree. The only justification I can possibly make in my mind is if, say, you're a tourist who goes to say the Champions League final as a as a neutral. You might then want to buy a memento that's obviously got the date and the two clubs on a scarf that you can then keep and and so yeah. on. But, Cup finals are but, fine, I suppose. Yeah, but, but if it's a league game, who's buying half and half scarves of like Huddersfield versus Cardiff? Like, yeah, exactly. what's what's the point? If you want a memento from the game, you've got your ticket, you've got your program, you know, you've got your your own replica shirt. There's no need to buy a, a half and half scarf, like you say. And this off tangent side, but my my. Dear mum, once as a birthday present, bought me a mug to commemorate Stoke getting to the FA Cup final. Paul, don't mention what the score was in that. <laughs> um, but it's got Stoke badge on one side and a Man City badge on the other. <laughs> now, I don't... That, that's a nice... It's a, thanks, mum, that's a nice gift. I mean, we lost this game, so thanks for reminding me. But, like... Um, <laughs> It's also the handles on the other side, so it means that when I'm drinking it, the Man City badge is visible. And that, <laughs> so the half and half scarfing has just brought back memories. This mug that I've got hidden away in the kitchen that I have to get out when my mum visits. So <laughs> half and half everything, half and half scarfs, half and half mugs. Get rid of them. Just half and half merchandise. Um, okay, yeah. so let's recap. I mean, I raised a tweet. I must have been, I think, the September international break, and this is sort of genesis. For this idea and one of my five pet hates was half and half scarf so Paul you sit you're singing the right tune there um obviously people were in agreement in large um large amounts a couple of people piped up and I think one of them did hit the uh, sort of memento angle and I was like it's uh, a fair point but really as a grown man no grown man should really be wearing a half and half scarf and also I find they're connected Paul to your first kicked in the bin they're the ones leaving early so i think yeah we're sort of building a profile now aren't we of the football <laughs> fan that we don't like it's tony leaves early and wears a half and half scarf and probably tim moans about the ball being out of the quadrant do you know what i mean <laughs> we're sort of building this picture like it's almost like crime watch but um you're absolutely right paul i couldn't agree more um i think they're an absolute abomination and i think you're absolutely right in the sense that it's the way the game's going and i went to i went to Tottenham cardiff in October, and that, as you said, Tim, um, for a league game, why on earth would you want to buy a half and half scarf? I walked past the market stall, some sort of stall, and someone was selling Tottenham and Cardiff half and half scarves, and I just sort of shook my head in disgust and kept walking because I think there's not going to be much of a market for those, is there? And thankfully, I didn't buy one. And and also, there's no real resale value to them either because if they get relegated, like, you can't like then try and sell them next season, can you? So it's a very short <laughs> sort of business model, sort of facially flawed on many different. Um, level so with that in mind half and half scarves and let's say half and half merchandise actually to really push it out that is also being kicked in the bin so Paul's on a, a lightning run he's a perfect start continues Tim you're one behind I mean, we're not really playing for points but let's keep it slightly competitive what have you got up your sleeve for number three okay this was tricky because I originally just wrote a catch-all of pundits but I thought well no because there are good pundits and I wrote cliches and I thought well some cliches are cliches for a reason. So I ended on one cliche as my third choice of what annoys about football. And it's the phrase bragging rights. Specifically, okay, interesting. Specifically that phrase, because it's, it's only ever attributed to a local derby. Um, so Tottenham v Spurs, the Manchester derby, whatever. Or they'll have bragging rights. Like if, say, Paul, don't yell at me. If Man United <laughs> beat Man City at some point in this season, and they'll say... The commentator, his only guarantee will say, bragging rights, go to United. Well, I think Man City will probably point out that they're league champions and will probably be 10 points clear. I'd rather brag about that. Same mm. when, like, Derby and Forest play. And if Derby win, like, oh, Derby got bragging rights. Well, Forest have won European Cups. Like, losing a league game, which which they'll almost certainly play again next season. I just don't, I just hate the phrase, just bragging rights. I, I think it's the word brag. It's not particularly, you know, it's not a nice thing, is it, to brag if you're braggy about something. I've just got an image of a guy coming into the... I'll tell you what it is, actually. I know exactly what it is. Years ago, uh, Stoke played Liverpool in the League Cup, and we lost 8-0 at home. And the next day, um, 
a kid came into my school with a Liverpool scarf on. He'd never once mentioned he was a Liverpool fan the entire time. <laughs> it's got, and he came in bragging about Liverpool beating Stoke 8-0. And he's like, oh, we've got, I've got bragging rights. And I think maybe you've just uncovered like a child of trauma that I've got in the back of my mind that this podcast's unlocked. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's a bit niche, but it is the phrase bragging rights. Okay, I mean, we seem to be bringing back quite a few bad memories. First, we've got the mug, yeah. and now we've got sort of a kid <laughs> in school bragging. So, I mean, it's, it's like a therapy sort of course, really. But let's uh, <laughs> let's continue. Let's persevere. Paul, what's your take on bragging rights? Because City did get the uh, the Manchester bragging rights um, recently. So, I mean, in a sense, you know, they are kings of Manchester for a few more months at least. Is that something you agree yeah. with in terms of the use of this term? Is it overused? What's your take? Um, I think that the pundits just have a, a bingo list, don't they? And they try and tick off different <laughs> cliches. Um, I mean, I suppose me being a Stoke fan, you've always had bragging rights over Port Vale, haven't you? So it's not like, um, <laughs> yeah, I, even when City were the underdog, I don't think I would ever say, oh, we've got bragging rights over United when, you know, we pipped them a couple of times whilst we were t- still terrible. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a naff phrase, and it? it's just another. Another part of them building this football scenery so they can try and market the product. Chuck it in the bin. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's all about soap opera, really, isn't it? It's all about the, the continual narrative and ongoing battles and, and such. And I think it's, again, another byproduct of the Sky era. Um, we obviously we're guilty of fueling it if we have Sky subscriptions. So I guess you know, we have ourselves to blame. But... It's such a needless sort of term, and the context you're right, Tim, is all wrong because it's not, you know, the bragging rights from winning a European Cup. It's literally one game in isolation, which, you know, they're going to play each other. Let's say the Manchester Derby, for example, you know, they're going to face each other later in the season. So you have what, bragging rights for four months, five months? It's such a sort of throwaway term that has no real meaning in the grand scheme of things. So, so yeah, why not? Let's, uh, let's end bragging rights, let's kick it in the bin. That phrase is no more. Pundits now legally cannot use it. So, no more bragging rights. That's kicked in the bin. So, Tim's back on a uh, a positive note. Can Paul continue his run? Paul, what have you got for me for number three? Right, yeah. Okay, I, I don't know if you'll both agree with this one, um, but it's a, a pet hate of mine. It's the clubs that fail in the Champions League group stage dropping down into the Europa League. I, think, <laughs> I just think it's a daft. UEFA rule and obviously they do it as a money spinner just on the off chance that they lose um, a big name for the TV slots and it it insults the the clubs that have worked hard to get into the Europa League in my opinion Um, you know these Champions League failures drop into the knockout stages um, and they get a second bite of the the apple or cherry whatever you want to call it and I don't think it's fair I think it's just another daft way of um, trying to exploit certain clubs for money the TV revenues and it devalues the competition in my opinion yeah I think it's a very fair point you make Tim anything to add do you agree disagree what, what's your take on the Europa League well not the Europa League so it's teams dropping into the Europa League shall I say yeah I think um, I, I yeah I, I agree actually because I think you've got the Champions League is obviously the elite club competition I think if you get knocked out of that competition well tough you had your chance you know you, you you've been knocked out that's the end of your european journey and like like you said paul I, I agree entirely if you are a club that maybe isn't a big club but have got into in the europa league um if you end up coming up against i can't think of any huge clubs who may have dropped down in recent years but if you if you do face someone like haven't been manchester city or dortmund or someone like that who've dropped down and you get eliminated then what what what's the point like they've entered this competition by failing at another competition rather than succeeding at something. You, know, you qualify for the Europa League by finishing high up the table or winning a cup. If you get knocked out by someone who you know, came fourth in their domestic league and then came third in their group, I mean, that's mm. not really... Uh, I was trying to remember when you were saying this, whether, because believe it or not, Stoke were in Europe a few years ago and we lost to Valencia. And I'm trying to remember whether they dropped down from the Champions League and knocked us out. I wouldn't want to say that that definitely happened, but... Um, there's another um, reason why I'd be on your side. Yeah, I don't know if Valencia did that year, but I know um, Seville, when um, Unai Emery won the Europa League three times in a row with them, yeah. I'm, I'm fairly certain that two out of those three times they dropped out the Champions League and gone on to win the Europa League. Yeah, you're right, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one. I mean, especially for me, because I'm a Tottenham fan, and this scenario could well um, play out in the next month or so. And it's not really a scenario I want to see, because for the Europa League, you're back into that awful Thursday-Sunday cycle of football, and that's that's not really sort of something that's conducive to going on and pushing for a league title. So that's going to hamstring what Tottenham do. I think the fact that you're absolutely right, Paul, that it devalues the competition... And it speaks volumes that the fact that UEFA offer the price to get into the Champions League when you win the Europa League. So it's a competition you can drop out of and then win and then get back out of. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, just, <laughs> yeah. it's so sort of nonsensical, really. If they just had the two uh, competitions run parallel, so like standalone, so there's none of this dropping in nonsense, then the Europa League would be you know, viewed as a, a better, I love to say product, but a better, stronger competition. It wouldn't be so maligned. Um, you could still offer the prize of getting into the Champions League, but you know to have teams with this sort of parachute, um, it's just a nonsense, really, isn't it? And I think you know it's not something I really want to see Tottenham in come the turn of the year. Whisper it quietly, but I'd rather they finish fourth if they can't finish second. I wouldn't be too perturbed, really. Um, so yeah, I mean, if it was up to me, I would. I mean, this might end Tottenham's European hopes. So sorry, Tottenham fans, if you are listening, but I'm going to bin. Teams that finish third in the Champions League and get the chance to drop into the Europa League at the turn of the year. So that's in the bin. That format is now scrapped. So that's it. Over. <laughs> so uh, three for three. He's on a run. And uh, <laughs> Tim, what have you got for me? Number four. What's your fourth thing that you would like kicked in the bin? Now, this might this will probably raise a couple of eyebrows as well. It's the amount of sponsors, the amount of clubs that are sponsored by gambling companies. Now, I don't want to get into a whole discussion about the influence of gambling on uh, football and on people who watch football and advertising during games, because that's a whole other topic. But the amount of clubs that are sponsored on the shirts by gambling companies. Now, I know that at least one of you will point out that Stoke are sponsored by Bet365 and play at the Bet365 Stadium. (laughs) The caveat caveat to that is that Bet365 is a Stoke company founded and run by someone from Stoke. However... So I've managed to separate those two issues. When you look at like, the Premier League, there's, and I did research before this podcast, there's nine clubs sponsored by gambling companies in the Premier League. There's 17 in the Championship. About 24 clubs, 17 of them are sponsored by gambling companies. And I think in my head as well, it's predominantly the gambling companies that are like are, are Chinese gambling companies. So their logo is almost illegible and you can't understand it. And I just... I just think they look untidy. It's a worrying influence on clubs and potentially fans. And I just, yeah, it's just a worrying trend. And I don't want to get into a whole discussion about gambling in general to do with football, but I just think that the amount of clubs that are sponsored and taking money off gambling companies, is a, it's a bit much. And I don't know where it ends. Okay, Paul, what have you got to uh, say about that one? Um, do you know, I'm, I'm a bit undecided about this one. Um, I, I get what you're saying, Tim, and uh, I do think it looks untidy and it does set a, send a bad message. Uh, it's also quite strange, like you say, that the vast majority of sponsors in the championship are, are foreign betting companies. And uh, the, the championship, whilst it is televised quite a lot, it, it's nowhere near got the coverage of the Premier League. So you think, well, what are those gambling companies actually getting out of it? Um, it the Champions League's got certain rules around gambling sponsorship. Um, was it a couple of years back? Real Madrid didn't they have? Uh, was it Betwin or Bwin? Bwin, Bwin. Yeah, um, and that was had to be removed off the shirt. So um, they do look a bit naff, don't they? And, and there's that many of them. I mean, how many times do you need to see Betfred, Bwin, Bet three six five? There's too many to choose for. Um, I'm, I'm going to side with you on this one, Tim. Cheers. I- Okay, and this is going to be a bit controversial because the podcast is actually sponsored by a football betting company. But Liverpool <laughs> don't uh, sponsor fine. any shirts. So I think we can sort of detach it, but I don't want to shoot myself in the foot for any future gameful employment. So unfortunately, Tim, I've got my own vested interest and it means that I can't, uh, <laughs> I can't technically put um, gambling in football, gambling on uh, club shirts in the bin I, I sort of agree with what you mean I think especially with sort of these sort of Vietnam sort of based companies and you think well what a company is that but 
Unfortunately, I know where my bread's buttered, so that <laughs> one cannot be kicked oh. in the bin. Uh, Chris from Loser Point, if you are listening, <laughs> thanks ever so much. Uh, we'll, we'll recap um, your segment later when we have to do our Loser Point picks in the week, when I have to actually earn my money. But um, moving things <laughs> very quickly on. <laughs> <laughs> moving things on very, very quickly. Paul, what have you got for number four? Uh, number four, right. Um, I've gone with uh, playing uh, clubs playing music when a goal is scored. Mm. Yes, uh, I, <laughs> I don't understand it. Like, what, what do you need? There's nothing better than the sound of a, a crowd roaring. Why do you want to play some tacky dance music over the top of it? I think Ball and Wanderers used to be like famous for it, and Wigan as uh, Wigan Athletic as well they used to play uh, uh, Tom Hart by the Piranhas. Um, or the way around and, and I just think oh come on like, alright fair play Wigan they have very low attendances almost as low as Man City's but like you know it's just uh, nothing spells you know Tim Pot Club more than uh, than playing music when a goal scored in my opinion yeah it's, uh, it's I guess it's actually sorry Tim I'll let you add in your points first I'll, I'll um, give my feedback in a minute but what's your take on goal music is it um, a good thing or a bad thing Oh, it's 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 a bad fit. It's naff. It really is naff. Like I don't like you like you said, Paul. I don't know why when a goal goes in, why you need anything else apart from the the sound of the crowd. Surely that sound is one of the one of the purest joys to put some poetic license behind it of, of football. And I include, and it's horrible to say that, but the sound of an away end cheering when the goal goes in. It's a it's a obviously you don't like hearing it, but it's a it's a pure sound, and it's. The yeah. fact that it's a second or two after the goal goes in and it emanates from the corner. If you're in the home end, or if you're an away fan, and you just you, you know you, you go a bit mental, and you start shouting and, and, and cheering, and then organically you might start singing whatever your club song is. If if they're playing the white stripes over the top of it, I don't I don't see what that adds to it. And I mean, I've got a lot of time potentially for the people who play at the music because they must be sat there ready. With their finger hovering over the button just in case a goal goes in. Um, <laughs> but, um, so I admire their technical ability to play it that quickly, but I just, I just don't, I just don't like it at all. It's really horrible. I think I seem to remember, and that's not to say to take anything away from when I went to Rotherham away because it's what my life is like now as a Stoke fan. Rotherham <laughs> away about a month or so ago. The glamour. Um, they played, and uh, they played music. I think they did anyway. I'm pretty certain they played music after the goals went in. Their, their two goals, they scored twice. Um, I just thought, oh, this is this is where this is where my club are now. This is what's happening. Um, it's just it's just not it's just rubbish, isn't it? It's really naff. Yeah, I think it's it's almost telling fans when to celebrate. It's it's like almost the dumbing down. Like you say, like we've got the fan wearing the half and half scarf. He's always going to leave early after seventy five minutes. He now and then knows when to cheer when the goal goes in because of the goal music. It just it just makes the match day atmosphere so naff, doesn't it? And I think. I think you could almost just add match day atmosphere in general, really. I mean, if we're going to get really um, technical with this. But I think, mm. Paul, you're absolutely right. Um, goal music, it's an absolute blight, isn't it? Um, I mean, it's great when your team scores, but you don't need, like you say, the white stripes ad infinitum. Because say if you're a season older, you're going to have that maybe 60, <laughs> 70 times a season. That's going to drive you absolutely mental, isn't it? So, um, so, yeah, goal music, it's in the bin. Let's have more actual natural uh, crowd noise because it's so much richer for it so uh, so yeah that's in the bin there's now going to be a wall of silence every time a goal is scored so congratulations <laughs> there Paul right then it's your final picks now in terms of penalty takers do you save your best till last or have you got a weak uh, you know a dodgy defender who's got um, shot number five so Tim have you got a blockbuster for me or is this a bit of a weak effort towards the end what have you got oh, I don't I don't know. This is one, like I said before we started, I had a, a, a long list of 10 and tried to pick five. So I've, I've picked this one, but I'll see how it goes anyway. This is born from a specifically from a tweet I saw the other day. But it's basically, um, and it comes back to fans again, fans who can't level even the slightest praise on a rival club or player at a rival club. This comes from, I heard someone, a tweet that had an Arsenal fan on, I think it was Talk Sport, saying that Harry Kane wasn't one of the, I think he said even not one of the top 10 strikers in the Premier League. Now, whether you're a Tottenham, an Arsenal fan who hates Tottenham or not, objectively, that's just wrong. That's just, that's 
that's that's bullshit. Like, and I can't understand how bitter you have to be as a fan of a club to not even acknowledge, even slightly, that your rival has got a good player. I just, I, I just feel a bit sorry for these kind of people. You know what I mean? I don't know what you guys think. I don't, I don't know whether. Whether Paul, whether you want to praise David De Gea or acknowledge that he's a he's a good goalkeeper, probably not as good as Allison, but is he a good goalkeeper? And, and you, Dan, whether you think I'm trying to wrap my brains for a decent Arsenal player, uh, <laughs> yeah, like, I can appreciate well, yeah, he's a good exactly. striker. I don't necessarily yeah. like him because he plays for Arsenal, but I'm not an idiot who goes, "Oh, he's not in the top." Do you know what I mean? Like, I can. Yeah, and just it's not like liking them. I don't want to expect an Arsenal fan to like Harry Kane, but to say that he's not one of the best strikers in the Premier League. It's just, it's just a dumb opinion. It, it's objectively wrong. So what I'm saying is, yeah, fans who can't even acknowledge that their rivals have got a good player or, or a good manager or there's something good about them. Everything about their rival in their eyes is shit and terrible and not as good as their own team. That's, that's, my, that's my pick. It's a very interesting pick. I like it. Paul, what have you got to say about that one? Um, it's, it's very difficult for me. If you had asked me 10 years ago... I would have been one of those people that couldn't say a, a nice thing at all about Manchester United, particularly when they had Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, I think I must have maybe matured a bit as I got older because I can appreciate that David De Gea is one of the best shot stoppers in the Premier League um, and that Manchester United are, are a club who um, uh, have managed to become a brand um, that's about as, as nice as I, I can get with them. Um, I, I don't know. I, I because of because of I, the way that I grew up, absolutely detesting uh, our near neighbours. And to be honest with you, any sort of dislike I had for for United or still have, um, it's all been brought on by the way United fans have been towards me and my club. Um, it's you know it's very reactive. But maybe this comes from, from maybe maybe I don't feel like this way because um, Stoke have been so far ahead in the football league ahead of Port Vale in the last fifteen years that I like, I don't particularly I, I don't hate Port Vale I don't really care about Port Vale I don't like smile if they well I smile if they, when they got absolutely battered six one or whatever it was but I don't I don't relish their their downfall and maybe. Um, Maybe that's what's lost from me. I've I've lost that rivalry hatred. I'm starting to go back on my own argument now. Maybe I've lost that, <laughs> that, that rivalry hatred. But I was trying to think, like, when we were in the Premier League, we obviously didn't really get on very well with Arsenal, but I still appreciated they had good players. But obviously they're not really a rival. It's just that we hate, didn't like them and they didn't like us. But I've taught myself out of this. Well, uh, hang on. I think if we take it back a step, I think there is a, a massive difference between... Um, Appreciating a, a, someone from a rival club or just being a rank idiot, like you say, I think the perfect yes. example you made, Tim, and I know exactly what you mean about that talk sport call. For someone to say outright that they don't rate Harry Kane in the top 10 Premier League strikers is an absolutely ludicrous statement. I mean, people yeah. during the World Cup weren't appreciating Harry Kane. People, even on Sunday, still like to not appreciate Harry Kane. You know, I might be talking from a point of bias because I'm a Tottenham fan, but. Surely you must be able to appreciate how good this player is. I think if people don't sort of want to appreciate how good he is, you almost don't deserve him because I think he's been the best English striker in a generation and who knows how good he could be. So to not appreciate that kind of talent, even if you're, you know, and you're such a, a die in the wall Arsenal fan, I think it just smacks of ignorance, really. And I don't think yep. football or social media or Twitter and any of that sort of that football Twitter in inverted commas. They're just not needed, are they? So I think mm. the more that those can go in the bin, it'll be a better place for everyone else. So Tim, I completely agree. That one is going in the bin. So you finish your three out of five. Paul, can you get a clean sweep? The pressure's on. <laughs> what have you got for me? Um, I, I had uh, a list of about six or seven, and I've I've gone with one that I thought won't be mentioned. You know, very often it's not a, a an issue that gets brought up very much. But I'm going with. Uh, you know when a corner's about to be taken and there's certain referees who want to go and um, go over and, and basically say, don't push one another, don't push one another. And then the corner gets taken and what does the referee do? He blows his whistle straight away before the ball's even reached the box and gives it a, as a free kick to the goalkeeper. 
There's got to be some pushing and shoving at a corner. If you if you're a referee and that's your biggest issue, then what? You know, how pedantic do you need to be? Like it's supposed to be a, a physical game. If if they're pulling shirts, wait until he actually does it and the ball's in play. But if you're not even blowing the whistle for the corner to be taken, there's no need for you to go over and and disrupt the game and tell somebody. You know, the grown men at the end of the day, let them get on with it. Yeah, I think. Um... It certainly raises a good point. Tim, have you got anything to add to that? Do you agree? What's your take on, uh, I guess, pedantic referees blowing up for contact in the box? Do we just have to see zonal marking forever? What's your take? This is this is difficult because, well, I spe- without pedantic referees, I don't think England would have got to the semi-final of the World Cup. That was pretty much where half our goals came from. Um, no, I think... Oh, it's really difficult. I do remember, like, a few years ago, I don't know if you remember, like, I think it was the first game of the season, Shawcross for Stoke gave away a penalty from, like, pulling someone in the box from a corner. And we were told that this was a new directive. The referees were told, give them a warning, but then give penalties. And that was the only penalty given that season, I think, for grappling the box. Um, so, I, I don't know. I'm inclined to... I'm more annoyed with referees who go over and say no pulling the box and then there is loads of pulling and they don't do anything about it. And rather they just let the corner go in without warning them and if they're pulling one another, because there's always two ways, isn't it? They're always pulling yeah. and shoving. It's not always attackers being fouled. That, you know, they're giving it as well. I'd rather referees just let them go on with it without the warning. I think it's the warning that irritates me that they warn them and then don't give it. So if, if that's the one we're looking at, then yeah, I'm inclined to agree that if you're then a, if you're then to be a ref who's going to be this pedantic to warn people and then blow for a free kick against a goalkeeper immediately, yeah, what's the what's the point of going and warning them or or, or whatever? Yeah, I, yeah, I've lost this anyway. At least four three. So I'd, yeah. <laughs> um, let's have a think. I mean, the inconsistency of ref doesn't help because you know every ref is different. So you like you say, some will blow early, some will warn. Some won't warn, and it's just like, like, if if I don't know, because you also need to think that all this should probably be stamped out when VAR comes in anyway. So it might be a moot point um, in the next sort of few months. But at the, st- at the same time, we still have to get to VAR, and um, oh, I'm gonna say yes. It's gone in off the post. I'm gonna kick <laughs> this one to the bin. Um, pedantic referees who. Moan about you know they moan about contacts. They offer a warning and then they just blow up straight away. I mean, where's their mindset? Why are they doing this? Why not just let the game breathe? And if there is a foul, then so be it. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. referees have to appreciate it is a contact sport still. I know it's not as rough and tumble as it used to be, but there is still an element of contact, especially when you're trying to defend from a corner. So you need, you know, you need that contact. So why be so fussy? You know, it's just it's not good for the game. It's not needed. So, Paul, yep, that's a perfect, a perfect five as pedantic referees from corners goes <laughs> in the bin. Um, we've got a little bit of spare time, so I'm just going to offer up a few more off the top of my head. Um, so just uh, just sort of get ready for these ones. Tim, what's your take on Chris Sutton? If you're the power master, would you bin Chris Sutton? Would you kick Chris Sutton to the bin? <laughs> um, I... He doesn't really enter my frame of consciousness Ooh. much, <laughs> if I'm being honest. So if you just said if you just said Robbie Savage, then I would have agreed wholeheartedly. But Chris Sutton, he's not really I'm and uh, not I'm not that bothered either way. So okay. you know, if we're if we're if we're ditching someone entirely into a bin, I'd rather I I wouldn't bother with Chris Sutton. So we wouldn't be getting like an industrial waste bin for Chris Sutton, though, is that not an order? Not for me. No. Okay, that's absolutely fine. Paul, what would you say about Chris Sutton? Would you bin him off if you had the chance? Um, I suppose I would. I, there, he's one of those people. Every so often, they'll come out with a daft comment, and I'll remember who he is. Do you know what I mean? I know he's a yeah. different. You separate the person, the, the pundit from previous incarnations, don't you? And, and yeah, he's like he's not really on my radar, but until he says something daft, and I'm just like, oh, get off. I think he's just like renter quote really, isn't he? He sort of he wants yeah. to be yeah. say these stupid things to be in the limelight and you're like, Well, you're you're a non factor really, so just if you just stop making these awful comments, you know, you just wouldn't be anywhere. So yeah, I think he's not yeah, not the top of the list, but I think he just irks me. So, um I've got another one. 
popcorn at grounds. Tim, I, I don't know if Stoke sell popcorn, but it's a blight in Premier League grounds. Uh, I think it's like £7 for a drum. Um, do you really need to be eating popcorn at a football match? What's your take on that one? Popcorn at a football match? I'm not I've joking, ne- I've honestly. Never, I've never seen popcorn at a football match. When uh, like the London Stadium is there, it's an absolute outrage. Like, if if you saw if you saw uh, Stoke selling popcorn, would that be one of your final things? You think, do you know what? I'm done with football. I'm not having this anymore. I'm not going to go. I mean, it wouldn't sell at Stoke because it's got the word corn in it, which is too much like a vegetable. <laughs> so it wouldn't it wouldn't sell. But yeah, I, de- I mean, that's just it. Just I, I'm just imagining a, a fan sitting there with a bag of popcorn, like he's watching like. A, a summer blockbuster. Well, I just that's can't. It, honestly, this is it. I mean... I, I, oh, yeah, get get rid of it. You don't need to eat popcorn. You've got, you know, you've got pies and you've got sausage rolls. You've got chocolate bars and crisps. You've got loads of snacks at football. You don't need popcorn at football. Surely it goes everywhere if you score. Like, yeah, you, know, you, could you, be you can hang on to a pie, but the pop. Oh no, I'm not, I won't, imagine sitting next to someone like eating popcorn out of a red and white striped bag. Oh no, nah, <laughs> not having that. Paul, do they do popcorn at the Etihad? Uh, they do in the uh, family yeah. stand where the kids sit, but um, I've seen it at West Ham away um, yeah. last season, and uh, I know they do it at Wembley. For me, like the half and half scarves and the other things we covered, it's it's another sad reflection of how football's losing touch with its working class roots, in my opinion. Well, this is it. Yeah, what's wrong with uh, a bovril and a pie or something like that? I mean, Absolutely. I don't, you know, it, it, yeah. Popcorns for the cinema, not for the football. Well, exactly. If we add this to our profile of the fan we are sort of loathing to uh, to like, I mean, he's, he's someone who definitely leaves early, wears a half and half scarf, likes gold music, and definitely eats popcorn as well. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And these people do exist. I've seen them at Wembley. So I think I'm trying to um, reflect on the, my own discomfort of Monday fans. Because, oh, I, mean, yeah. I think... There's a, right, there's a real caricature there, isn't there? There is, absolutely. <laughs> but, you know, and they're only getting... Um, more more in sort of um in numbers so and also someone getting more in numbers or a theme it's my final sort of one to offer to you two tim what's your take on match day vloggers match day vloggers yeah are those are those the now see again being a, a, a lowly championship supporter i haven't seen much of this was this like the lads who are filming themselves watching the game live yep that's the ones and then and then, and then posting it i I don't, I don't get it. I, I really don't get why anyone watches that. And I've seen clips of the the guy who does the Man United one, who's like an Alan Partridge incarnate kind of thing. <laughs> and yeah, that's great. That's really funny. But I don't get who who benefits from watching that seriously. And that's not to say like that's very separate, obviously, to like fan channels reporting on the game afterwards and offering opinions on games before or after it. But it's basically like someone's watching back like Soccer Saturday, but just someone watching your team who supports your team. I don't, yeah, get that in the bin as well. I don't see the need of it. What's the point? Paul, are they a blight that's entered the Etihad any time uh, recently? Uh, do you know what? I haven't seen any in the home end, but when I've been um, on YouTube, I have seen fans that are in the away end at our place with it. Um, the Southampton game the other week, there was a lad that does it there, and I, I have seen one or two uh, when I've been in away uh, trips and I've seen people in the home and there at Leicester there was two lads not with one another but separately recording their own match day vlogs um, and all of the people that I've seen do it tend to be uh, young lads of the same age that dress in H&M mannequin clothing you know whatever's on the mannequin they'll have um, and at their age I was chatting up girls and getting rejected uh, and then getting <laughs> drunk so I don't know what they're doing with their lives <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely right, though. I mean, yeah, I wasn't worrying about a video camera when I was 18, 19. It was sort of trying to, uh, yeah, exactly. Less, less about that then. But uh, yeah, I think yeah, vloggers need to go because, like you say, like Tim, you're just watching someone else watch a game of football. Do you know what I mean? And it's just like, where's the pleasure? I don't, I just don't get it really. It's just such a stupid concept. Maybe it's a sign of I'm, my age, but I'm only 35, so it's not I'm not that far <laughs> removed from them. And, and I'm not sure, I'm not sure ignorance now, but like the Man United one that everyone retweets and stuff, and other ones like that. Do they post those videos like after the game? Like, are they posted after the match, or did yeah. they, is it are they live? Well, well, if they're after the match, what's 
Well, the thing is, uh, what makes it worse with it being after the game is that that person who's recorded it has gone to the trouble of watching themselves back, thinking, <laughs> yeah, this is good to be posted on the internet. I want the world to see me like this. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's absolutely right. I mean, it's just like... And I don't get the person watching that, like, oh, watch this guy watching a game that I know is finished and yeah, I know exactly. what it was. It's not like watching Soccer Saturday or something where it's happening live. Like yeah. him saying, oh, Lukaku scored. Well, yeah, I know he did. He, he, he scored two hours ago. It's like Saturday night. I, yeah, I, I don't get it at all. Yeah. Maybe it's my age as well. But... No, no, I think you're absolutely right. That's definitely uh, going in the bin. Um, so it's quite a packed bin. Uh, congratulations <laughs> to you both. Some great shouts. Now you need to... Um, earn your money as it's time to our loser pool picks of the week so um simple concept there's 10 premier league games coming up this weekend i just want your guaranteed losers from uh, from this weekend and why really so tim i'll go with you first out of the 10 matches who would you think is definitely going to lose this weekend oh so it's a guaranteed one not who are not like a a, a nice like t- like tipster kind of choice it's like a guarantee loss yeah, is that you, what i'm going for yeah if you had to pick a loser banker who would it be this weekend um it would be cardiff city away at everton oh interesting and um tell me why then because obviously everton because have... i was gonna say because he didn't put neil warnock on the bin so i want to <laughs> give him a defeat <laughs> oh is that why you want to prove a point do you? No, no, no i think i think um i'm sorry to cut you off that i think um i don't think cardiff have really shown enough that they can go there and, and get a win um but they're struggling for wins anywhere and Everton are, are starting to and I've never shown up because I haven't looked at Everton's form but they're you know they're, they're a decent team and that they point together a few results here and there and they should have enough to see off a, a really ordinary not even ordinary just really really poor Neil Warnock managed Cardiff City so I'll say Cardiff are, are guaranteed to lose okay then Paul would you agree with that um, do you know what I would? Yeah, I think it'll be. A, uh, I don't think it'll be a prolific uh, win for Everton, but I, I do see them winning. Fair enough. I think. Yeah, I, I can't really see um, too much different from that. I know Everton had a very good point against Chelsea before the break. Also beat uh, Brighton the week before that. So you're right, Tim. They're on a, a good run of form. I see no reason why that can't continue come the weekend. Paul, if you had to pick your loser banker, who would it be this weekend? Uh, it's quite predictable. It's West Ham. I thought that might be the case with you being a City fan, but if you can expand just on why. Yeah, um, there's a few reasons really from City point of view. Um, the London Stadium has been happy hunting ground for us the last few times we've been there. Well, every time we've been there, whether it be in the league or the cup, I think we've scored something like 20 goals and conceded one or two or something daft like that. Um, but it's just the fact that I think as much as I like Pellegrini as a, as a manager, I don't think West Ham are in a good place. I think the pitch at the stadium is still too big for the way they play. And um, yeah, City, I, th- I just genuinely think we're, we're a class above them. And that's not being arrogant. That's my um, football opinion, not my fan opinion. I mean, obviously, what with Pellegrini being the former City manager, there is some sort of subplot. But, you know, you can say sometimes that a former manager knows how to get the better of a, a team that he once managed. But... City's been a much different, much different beast since Pellegrini's left. So that's almost a moot point, really, isn't it, Paul? Yeah, it's di- we're a different machine now. Tim, do you agree with that? Can you see West Ham getting anything from uh, their clash with Man City this weekend? Because um, I mean, no. let's not forget they did beat Man United, so there, there might be the possibility of a double Manchester scout. But is that everyone beats Man United nowadays? Mate. That is true. Yeah, it's debated <laughs> now, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> no. I, I... I can't. I, no, I can't see it. I'm not. I, I don't think. I, I can't see Man City batting them sort of four or five nil. Um, I could potentially see Man City, uh, West Ham, like nicking a goal maybe. But I, I, Man City are just they're so far ahead of, of, of West Ham and, and most teams in the country that I think they'll they'll win this and probably not really get out of third or fourth game. I think they'll win this probably maybe two one, three one, something like that. I, yeah, I can't see West Ham getting getting anything out of this. Okay, I'm going to add to the mix. Um, let me think. I'm going to go for Palace to lose away at Man United. So going against what Paul says that everyone um, <laughs> beats United at the moment. I mean, it's not still strictly untrue, but Palace, although they seem to be saving their best football actually away from home, I just can't. 
I don't know where the goals are at the moment. I don't know if Sahar's going to be fit, but there's just so much of an over-reliance on him if he was. Um, you know, they're just so toothless up front. I know they did test Tottenham before the international break. I know Hugo Lloris had a number of saves to make, especially late on. I mean, one from, what was it, Alexander Sorloff. Had he scored, that would have been on as even. But I just... I mean, they're not in a sort of crisis mode, and it's a lot better than their start last season in the Premier League. Obviously, we're sort of a bit further down the line now, so no one's had that sort of nightmare start to the campaign. But Palace, they are going to sort of, I guess, worry if they, the goals don't turn up soon. I don't think they're going to get any joy come this weekend. So my loser banker is uh, Palace away at Man United. So just to recap, team's gone for Cardiff to lose at home to sorry Cardiff to lose away at Everton. Paul's gone for Man City to get the better of West Ham, so his loser banker is West Ham to lose at London Stadium. And I've gone for Crystal Palace to lose away at Old Trafford. And just um, also this week, we've got Claudio Ranieri's first game in charge of Fulham. Now, Tim, we're only, what, I guess a third into the season, just entering the start of the middle third. Is it too early to start talking about a six-pointer, or is it high stakes indeed at Craven Cottage this weekend? Um, it's funny you should mention this because when I said when we were doing our loser picks, I was going to pick um, Southampton to lose at Fulham if we were going for a, sort of a, a, a tip rather than a guarantee. Because yeah, I think I don't think it's really start talking about six pointers, although the t- it is really tight at the bottom of the table, and particularly probably the bottom twelve if you want to call them that. Um, Southampton aren't very good, really. Can't score goals. Um, need to get wins wherever they can. And they're probably livid that Fulham uh, 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 sacked Chikanovic before they played them. Because um, I think there'll be a different team on the Ranieri. I'm not suggesting that they're going to go and blitz Southampton. But I really do. I think Southampton, uh, Fulham will probably win this. Um, and I think that will make Mark Hughes the firm favourite to be the next manager to go. Probably not if he loses this game, but it wouldn't surprise me if it, in the next two games, two or three games, if Mark Hughes goes, um, and I think this game might be the might be the start of the start of the end of his Southampton uh, reign. Do you know what, Tim? I couldn't agree more. To be honest, I think the fact that Fulham have rolled the dice really sort of plays into their hands this weekend, and I think Mark Hughes' time is just beginning to expire, especially if results do go against him come uh, come this weekend. Paul, do you agree with that statement, or is it a counterpoint you want to offer? Uh, yeah, actually, I've got a friend, uh, Peter, he's a colleague of mine as well, at, over the bar, um, and uh, he is a big Southampton fan. We were talking about the game this afternoon, and Southampton have, have also disposed of a few um, members of the, uh, well, directorate, haven't they, this week, um, director of football sort of jobs, in a sort of hint that they are going to have a restructure in the next few weeks or months, and I do think had Yukanovic uh, not been sacked, we, it would have been like a you know a, a P45 derby. This, but um, Ranieri coming in, you know he's he's a good manager here. I can see Fulham Fulham playing some uh, nice football under him, particularly with the team he's got. They're not they're not out of any sort of um, trouble just by appointing him as a manager. I think they will get a close. Uh, win against Southampton and I do think Mark Hughes if he doesn't go after this game uh, he will not be the manager come Christmas Yep I think it's uh, yeah I think it's the end of days for Mark Hughes I mean obviously if he wins on Saturday might buy him some more time but I think the fact that after the great escape last season they've not really kicked on they're not really doing anything extra are they they're sort of languishing that same uh, spot as they were when uh, Pellegrino was uh, manager so it's not looking good for Southampton we we'll have to see how it uh, pans out come this weekend. And it's something that we'll be talking about on next week's podcast. So, I mean, we're about an hour into it, sh- into the end of the show. So that almost is full time. Yeah, it pretty much is full time. So I just need to do the uh, the admin and pay the bills. Loser Paul, the sponsors, a big thank you as always. Um, this weekend, like I said at the start of the show in my monologue, it's another £1,000 prize pool starting this week. The odds to win will be great. But like I say, they'll be even greater if you do sign up. So if it has taken your interest, get to loserpool.com, sign up, open an account, place your first bet, get your loser banker, perhaps use our tips we've offered on the show, and who knows, you could be a step closer to winning £1,000. Yes, it honestly is that simple. And also, I need to thank my guests. It's been an absolutely fantastic hour. I've really enjoyed it. Tim, a cracking debut cap. I really hope you'll come and join me throughout the season so we can talk some real football. Yeah, absolutely. Love to. 
Thanks, mate. And Paul, second appearance. Absolute pleasure as always. I hope you'll join me once more. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me on. It's uh, lovely to be here. Thanks very much, mate. So, with that said, my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast in association with Loser Paul. And until next time, goodbye. Podcast Network.